I'm not for everybody. I know that some players will be better playing for someone else. I'm actually totally fine with that. One of the reasons why I like the Northeast guys is they know where I'm from and they know what I've done in the past and they come in here and they're right on board. That was coach Jason King of Dayton University. He'll be our guest on the Base Path Podcast next. Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm Dan Guttenplan along with co-host Matt Feld. Today's guest is a prominent name in New England College baseball circles, current Dayton University head coach Jason King. The D1 coach made his name in New England as a longtime coach at Franklin Pierce, where he led the team to seven trips to the NCAA Division II College World Series. Coach King, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast. Of course. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit about what it's been like out in Dayton weather-wise. It's funny, I got a press release today from Northeastern, and they were saying they have 17 new kids on the team this year for a total of 45 players on the roster. And it just seems like it's Mm -hmm. kind of crazy right now at the D1 level with these roster sizes and incoming classes. What has the fall been like for you, and how has it been different from the other years that you've been at Dayton? Well, it's been really good. I think I'm used to having a lot of players, obviously, at Franklin Pierce. We had big rosters there, so I know what it's like to have to manage that. I think the most difficult part is the young players just we have some good young players and it's just it's just hard for them to get on the field which is different than in the past some some of the good really good freshmen usually one or two of those guys will be able to find their way into the lineup now it just seems harder and harder just because there's other guys that might have four or five hundred collegiate at bats under their belt so I think that's the one thing that I have to recognize better and be more cognizant about it's just knowing that that is the case and then just trying to create some patience and some understanding from those guys that are just up against guys that have really just more experience in the game but I think it's it's like anything else it's just as a coach just need to be flexible and need to need to have an understanding of what's going on and make sure you're communicating well with the guys that you have what do you hope to get out of the fall more than anything when when you're kind of inner squatting and also hopefully as a school playing against maybe the one or two other institutions what are you hoping to to ultimately accomplish with your fall slate I think it can change year to year but for the most part you're trying to establish what what makes us go what makes the University of Dayton go and what we want that to look like playing wise so uh, establishing that and the culture side of it and leadership all that stuff kind of almost before we get going with the actual baseball stuff but Obviously, implementing all the things that you do regarding defense, offense, pitching, and then just kind of the biggest part of it is understanding the players that you got back and what improvements they've made. And then what are the new players really? What what actually are they? And making sense of that all and then trying to figure out positions, what the lineup might look like. So it's like a it's like a crazy complicated task that is never easy but after you do it for a while and you know what's know what you want out of certain positions and and players and then it's I think it's easier to figure out but we're really trying to figure out everything as it pertains to putting together the best product we possibly can in the spring that's like our goal is have a really good understanding on what what team what type of team we have and what we what we need to do to make them better and improve them for the spring you have uh, roots in, in the New England area. You're from Canton. You've been, you were at Franklin Pierce for almost 20 years. Um, 
I would say among D1 programs outside the New England region, you're probably as active as any coaching staff in recruiting athletes from New England and the Northeast. What is your philosophy behind that? What are you getting from these New England players that maybe other D1 coaches don't see? Well, I think for me, I've always recruited the guys from the Northeast. So I think I speak their language and and they speak mine a lot of times, which is very helpful. I'm not afraid to get a guy that needs some development. I think in Division One, you are some guys can be consumed with trying to get players that are already fully developed. But I've always been willing to take a guy that I think has potential and really work hard with them to make them better. And I think the guys from the Northeast, I just, just being a guy from that area, if it comes down to a player from the Northeast and somewhere else and they're close, I'm always going to side with the guy from the Northeast just for some of the reasons that I mentioned, but also just to bring some of those guys down here and mix in with all the players we have from all over the country. I think it just makes like for a beautiful thing when it comes to the makeup of a locker room. How have you noticed college recruiting change? You mentioned now when you have freshmen come in, you often already have a roster that consists of of very experienced players. And How much do you feel like honesty, which is always important, right? But in the recruiting process, now more than ever in terms of setting the expectations for freshmen of when they come into their program, that it might take take some time for them to to get consistent playing time. Yeah, it's it's really, it's a balancing act between getting good players and, and being honest because sometimes... I think we don't want to limit the the guys that come in as freshmen to say that you can't do it because they actually can. It just takes special players to be able to do it now more special than it's taken in the in the past. But I think we always want the freshmen to come in and think that they can come in and win a spot. And we do want them to do that, but also know that what the challenges of that may be. And I think the biggest thing for me is once they get here, if they're not, if they don't develop into the guy that's going to play right away, how can you occupy their development time? And I think that's crazy important because it's not necessarily just what they do while they're here is it also comes down to where we put them in the summertime, how many at bats they're going to be able to get. But I think there's just a lot that goes into it. But I think what you said is crazy important. It's just the honesty and the upfrontness. So at the end of the day, we got a great school. So they're still at a great school. We're still going to work with them, but maybe it might take a minute. And really, it's just usually dependent on the player himself. Sometimes some guys take a little more time. Some guys are ready. They just have someone in front of them. So there's all different setups and things that come your way. But I think the honesty and the honesty with themselves, too, is crazy important. And I think as long as it's like that and the communication's open, I think it can all move in a positive direction, even though it might require some patience. The other big factor, too, now is the transfer portal, because you got these freshmen that you're trying to you're trying to motivate them to stay patient and not get frustrated by a lack of playing time, but then you don't want to blindside him and say, Hey, we brought in somebody at your position who now he has 400 at bats. So I've talked to, we've talked to a few different coaches who have varying philosophies. I, you probably saw UConn this year with Jim Penders and his staff. They had like eight starters position players that were transfers, but then obviously the Ivies aren't taking transfers. Some other guys in the Northeast have said, no, we want to, we want the homegrown guys, the guys that we develop, What's your philosophy on the transfer portal? Well, the reality is 
unless you're getting the best of the best players out of high school. And even that's probably not good enough to secure winning. If you're just crazy young and talented, that does not mean that you're necessarily going to win. I think if you look at the teams that we had at Franklin Pierce, it was always some development developmental players that you got in from when they were freshmen, but it was mixed in with a lot of transfers. So I think how we're recruiting now is very similar to how we were recruiting when I was at Franklin Pierce, where just like two or three years ago, we were getting a lot of young guys and a lot of high school guys. Whereas now for us, the the transfer portal is not as lucrative as it is for some other schools. But for us, the junior college stuff is very very lucrative. So that's kind of how we've been we've been trending but it doesn't mean that the good high school players that it's not a place for them at, at the division one level it just means that the patience may be required but i think what's lost is the guys that used to end up on the bottom of the roster like those guys just don't have a place in division one so there's going to be more and more players that are at junior college division three division two that probably would have been on division one rosters at the bottom of it that that the room for those guys has just kind of disappeared over time. Where do you feel like, Coach, there's the biggest gap when it comes to players that are able to play at your level as to those that still might be the best at the high school level, right? Mm -hmm. So, because I feel like when kids put up 450 their senior year spring of high school with three home runs, they expect that no matter the school they're going to that next freshman year, they're going to have a chance to play and, and play consistently. But where do you feel like is the biggest room for growth with high school kids that come in to play for your program? Well, I think it's depend it's dependent on that individual player, but you know, most of the guys that are being recruited at the division one level are star high school players. But that does not mean that they're star college players right then and there. It just means that they some someday they possibly could be. But I think I think there's a lot there's a laundry list of things that come into play that allow guys to transition from high school to, to college. I think having good coaches and good good players to mentor those guys is crazy important. And then usually the two biggest things that it comes down to, if a freshman can do it right away, is what's the mental capacity to learn and compete and then the physical nature of, of the player. It usually comes down to those couple things. And we try to, one of the things that we try to do, and I think the Northeast does it better than anybody else. Is the, su- the summer league stuff is is incredibly important. So it's looking like we're going to have a couple of local guys, one from Braintree High School, one from Taunton, that'll play for the Rocks in the Futures League. That stuff is the value of things like that is incredible, and it increases the chances of a freshman coming in and being able to handle that that learning curve. That's going to come any freshman's way, regardless of what the talent level is. You made me think of something when you were saying those bottom of the roster guys at the D1 level aren't really D1 guys anymore because of the the log jam and the rosters and the shortened drafts. And I had somebody I was talking to kind of say something similar where here in the Northeast, it was the guys that used to get recruited by the BCs and the Yukons. They're kind of slipping now to the, the Holy Crosses and the Holy Cross, which is a strong academic school. Maybe those guys are going NESCAC. The guys that used to be D1, now Franklin Pearson, where SNHU are getting all those guys. Do you think that it's had that? Would you agree with that, that it's kind of spilled over to every level of college baseball where everybody's kind of shifted from maybe that D1 prospect and now you're a NESCAC guy or something like that? Yeah, I think that's that. that is the case. I think... 
someone that has an eye for talent and development can can really do very well with the high school guy. The trap that we all fall into, and it's I don't know if it's a trap or not, but the reality is when you're trying to win every single year, the best chance to win is with older players and more experienced players. That's nobody could argue that. So there's that side of it, but there's also this other side that you want to be able to develop players to be able to be like fourth round, fifth round, sixth round draft picks like we had at Franklin Pierce that were barely recruited. So you still want to be able to have those guys. So you you walk this fine line where you're trying to win and you're trying to develop like crazy. But at the end of the day, like for me, it's about how do we win every single year, not win one year and stink for two or three years. It's like, how do we win at the highest level every year? So that will always be the goal. In that, it turns into what type of risks are you willing to take with younger players or or you, or you, do you just want to go with the older guys? To me, I want to have like a balancing act. But if there's any question, the older guys will be what we'll rely on just because as you baseball is a numbers game. And if you have numbers from college, those are usually real and they usually translate. The numbers from high school usually don't translate all too much as it relates to hitters. I think with the pitchers, it does just because of strikeouts to walks and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yes, I do think that there's a lot of high school players to be had that are going to make a lot of coaches at, at the lower levels very, very happy. How do you? How would you describe the way that you approached recruiting uh, from your time at Franklin Pierce? And were there any sort of significant changes that you had to make? <laughs> yeah, at Franklin Pierce, it was an interesting time because when I first got there, I could. Uh, I think a lot of times I was just at more places than other coaches were, and then. In turn, we got some players that maybe we should never have got. And then over time, you realize that there's more coaches that are full-time. There's tons of coaches on the road. So the out-hustling guys, I don't know, maybe, but the the reality of it that is that that happens less. So I think that now, so obviously at Franklin Pierce, we we got a whole bunch of guys into the program. We developed a lot of them that were high school players. We got a lot of four-year transfers there as well as some JUCO guys. And then we kind of blended it all up and kind of figured out what would work best and then threw it all out there. And I think that was kind of the formula there. And then obviously you go to a place like West Point where you can recruit players nationally and we're trying to rebuild a program. And I think we had like 40 commitments within the time frame that I was there. Totally different academics, totally different profile, all that. And then get to Dayton and we're recruiting younger high school players and not too many transfers for the first couple of years. And now we're recruiting more junior college and transfer players and less high school players. So it's it's kind of moved all around and I think for us it's just to be flexible and understand where we need to make the hay that we can make that's going to allow us to win at a high level and just get players from wherever they come from, wherever we can get them from, and just mix it all together. So I think now it kind of looks very similar to what it did at my time at Franklin Pierce. Yeah, you went from being a head coach at Franklin Pierce, then you were associate head coach at West Point for four years, and then you went to Dayton, where you are now, obviously. Why did you leave? Did you feel like you had to leave Franklin Pierce and have some experience at the D1 level to get a D1 head coaching job? Or why did you decide to leave Franklin Pierce? I think there was a lot of reasons. I I had a incredible time at Franklin Pierce. I mean, we I left when there was a brand new clubhouse being built right at the field. 
we were winning at a high level. We were getting great players, great kids, all of that. But I always just thought, like like we all do sometimes, is you ask yourself, is this is this is this it? Is this what I was meant to do and just be here? And in my mind, it just it just didn't feel like that was the case. So even though a lot of things came my way, there was never one thing that said or one place that said, "Hey, let's do this." So I think it. I got to the point where it's like. If I'm going to make a move, let's do this and kind of see where it all leads. And I think for me, it was an incredible move and kind of landed me here at the University of Dayton, which I've been really happy at. So very, very thankful that I did that. At the time, it was it was uncomfortable. But like anything else, I think some uncomfortable stuff makes it a lot better. As a as a coach, I feel like as you we've touched on already plenty in the in the last couple of minutes or so. But college baseball, of course, has changed so much on on so many levels. And one of the one of those aspects is, of course, the magnitude of a staff that you can have. And I know that there's been a lot of conversations that have on gone at the NCAA level in terms of adding another full time for baseball staffs. And I'm just curious, can you just put it into perspective for people that maybe don't understand and only see college football sidelines or or college basketball sidelines, and of course at the professional level, kind of the the different avenues that you have to navigate as a coaching staff based on the parameters that are set forth for you. Yeah, it's a, it's it's hard. I mean, it's like anything else. You find ways to do the do the things you need to do and get the things done that you have to. I mean, in my time at Franklin Pierce, when I first got going, we had very little help as far as assistance wise and time, and you just. You find a way to make it work, but as it relates to Division One coaching, you have three. You have one full time head coach, two full time assistants, or we do, and then we have a volunteer assistant. So there's 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 four coaches, and one of them is making, in our instance, making very little money. I mean, there's some places where the volunteer makes plenty of money, but I think to only be able to have three coaches to be able to recruit, to only have three coaches to be able to get paid when you have 40-man rosters, well, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. And the other thing that doesn't make a lot of sense is Division two and Division three can have as many coaches as they want. Like, why would that, why would that be smart in any particular way? So I think, I think it's going to happen. It's just, a ma- it's just a matter of time. I think you'll see either in January or sometime in June or July that you'll see that fourth fourth coach will be able to be full-time and then it'll just be a matter of what the institution's commitment is to making something like that happen but I think that day is coming fast I think like you guys have seen we all want things to grow fast but if you look at college baseball over the last 10 years and you look at the growth and it's 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 pretty amazing in reality some things that are the most important have not improved and that's just one of those but I think in general the game the college game is in, at an incredible place, but that's one thing that needs to be fixed ASAP. I guess I didn't realize, or I may not have remembered, when you got hired at Dayton, the program was a little bit down. It wasn't where it is now by any stretch, and you kind of set some records in the beginning in terms of two-year win totals and things like that. When you take over a program like that that needs so much to kind of establish that culture, what were the first things that you really wanted to – how did you want to make your mark right from the start? What were the things you wanted to change? Well, we wanted to change the culture of it. We wanted to get into into a situation where it was a winning culture and a, a culture built on work ethic and toughness and things like that. So I think it started with that. We obviously had a roster that was not conducive to winning at this level. So we had to address that for sure. 
And then we also had facilities that, to me, were subpar at a place that's as great as the University of Dayton is. And I think over time, we've been able to do that. But it's there's some real challenges that come into play when you take over a program that is in that place. But what I would say is if it wasn't in that place, I probably wouldn't wouldn't have been brought here to kind of flip it all around. So I'm thankful that it was that. And it's just to be able to, to be able to change all that stuff is I think what I was made to do. So it's, I think, I think a lot of that is just part of like my nature as far as building things, but it's hard when you need to move things around as far as the roster and things like that. That stuff is not easy, but you know, just having a vision and knowing what needs to be done, I think is, is crazy important. And I've all, I always know to me and what's important and what I need to do to get those things. What's your overall perspective on the conference this year? You play in a very competitive conference, of course, and and a team that always sends consistently, if not just the the automatic bid, but also sometimes secondary at-large bids to the NCAA regionals. What's your overall take currently on, on the way that things will play out this spring for you guys? Well, I like our chances. I always like our chances. I'm optimistic about what we do. I like the group we have a lot. We have a lot of work to do, but my feeling is always that if if we stay healthy and we approach the game how it's supposed to be approached, I think we're going to always put ourselves in a pretty good situation to have success. Obviously, there's good teams in the league, and we we don't shy away from anybody. I mean, if you look at the, team, the schedule that we've played in the past, like we're more than willing to play the best of the best competition that's out there. And I think having good teams in the league is – a great thing. And we look forward to the opportunity to play any team that's on our schedule. But we know that the slate that we have, I mean, we this year we open up with Western Kentucky. Second weekend, we're at Tennessee. Our third weekend, we're home against Eastern Illinois. Fourth weekend, we're at Louisville. Fifth weekend, we're at Ohio State. So it's just, it's what I wanted to do mainly when I got here is at Franklin Pierce, I was like, man, we can really we can beat a lot of these Division One teams that are around here, but you never got a chance to play them. So my goal when I got here was like, let's light them up and let's see where we're at and find out who's better. So the conference gives us a good challenge, and then we challenge ourselves even more with what we do and the non-conference stuff. I know you have a lot of experience recruiting in the Northeast, and I, I wondered what you thought of the – it seems to be a recent trend, and I think it's just because of the – logjam for college rosters where a lot of guys are taking a prep year or reclassifying. Do you think that's just a temporary thing until college rosters kind of sort themselves out once, you know, these guys that took advantage of the COVID year kind of matriculate through, through, or is that a new thing where it's going to be more like hockey where you get a lot of 20, 21 year old fresh? I think, I think that's, I think there's going to be a good amount of that. I, because I, 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 my opinion is that for a lot of players, it makes sense. That one year of doing, whether it's a gap year or whether it's doing something at a prep school, it can be crazy valuable for, for, for those people that take advantage. I've seen it firsthand with my own son who was over, he's a freshman at Harvard now and saw some of the things that he did and some of the improvements that he made with his body and just getting used to the academics at a higher level. So I, I don't think that's going anywhere. I think it makes sense in a lot of places. I think there's some really good coaches in these pockets of places where guys can go and really develop and get ready for the next level. I do think that's a slippery slope because I think a lot of times guys can make that decision with the thought that they're going to go Division One. Well, that's that's not always going to be the case 
for every single guy that does that. So I think there needs to be good reasons for, to do it. I think chasing Division One to me is not always the best reason. I think if we're trying to get better academically, we're trying to get a little more physical, trying to get a little met- more mentally tough, I think it can be a great road, but I don't think it's for everyone, that's for sure. But I don't think it's going to go away, but I think you probably see a little bit less of it as we move forward. I feel like you mentioned earlier, you got a couple of kids from Mass that are playing this summer, upcoming summer in the Futures League, one of them, Jack Fitzgerald from, from Braintree High. And you, and you and just to tie into this, at Franklin Pierce, you feel like you got some guys that, that otherwise maybe you shouldn't have gotten or kind of fell into your lap or you just happened to be out more. Can you speak to the fact that sometimes a kid will have all the traits that, that make them a Division One player or a high-level player? They're athletic, they're physical, they're quick, they're a good student. But sometimes as a college coach, you just feel like maybe they're not a good fit for my program. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't mean they're a bad kid or anything like that. They're just they're just not for me. And I think sometimes kids and families don't understand that. It's not an insult towards you. Maybe if someone else gets a scholarship over you. Can you speak to that aspect of recruiting and how you kind of feel like, you know, when maybe a kid is for you? Yeah, I think it's it has to be a match. Right. Like I'm I'm not for everybody. I know that I I, I know that some some players will be better playing for someone else. And I'm I'm actually totally fine with that. I think I always want players that. And one of the reasons why I like the Northeast guys is they 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 know where I'm from and they know what I've done in the past and they they come in here and they're right on board. Well, you roll a guy in from that's lived in Massachusetts for his whole life and throw him in the Midwest where the whole locker rooms Ohio and Indiana, and you start talking with the accent that I have, people start wondering what you're saying. So I think speaking the same language is crazy important whether it just be from the same area or just the language of how competitive you are, how you like to approach hitting, how you like to attack different things in your program. I think being on the same page is is incredibly important because when it comes to development, when that's the case, if you put a really good coach with a really good player that's motivated, like the things you can accomplish are crazy. But when that's not necessarily connected like that, it makes things very difficult. But yeah, the recruiting for me is I always think that if a player wants to play for me, like I'm going to do anything that I can to make them better and develop them as much as they possibly can. But the reality, it doesn't always shake down like that. But I think for me, it comes down to the talent. It comes down, what does the talent look like? If you if there's a talented kid and he's got some, some work that he needs to do elsewhere as it relates to him as a person, like I'm still going to be in on that. And then the development will just be in a different area besides the baseball. But I usually, there's not too many kids that are going to scare me away if they're talented. I guess that's the best way for me to put it to you. (laughs) Coach, it seems like in the Northeast or in New England, there's this kind of like brotherhood or community of all these guys, the scouts and coaches you see at all these events, Peter Gammons and Ray Fagnant and all these guys that are at everything. Does that exist in Ohio? And is it like, is it like Mike Schmidt and Terry Francona? Who, Who do you run into in baseball circles there? Usually it's guys that have connections to the Northeast or Red Sox scouts or <laughs> things like that. It's just my roots are my roots are too deep for them to change. So like the 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 guys that I'm best friends with are guys that played for me that coach in the Northeast and the scouts that I'm most friendly with and guys that are in upper level management and baseball they're all Northeast guys. So that's just the way it is. It's, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that's just when you spend as much time as I did in that area and you were as invested 
And as invested as I still am in that area, it's always going to look a little bit like that. So it's a little lopsided as far as that's concerned. But I have a great relationship with the scouts and the people that are out here. And obviously the university has been great to me and the program. So I'm crazy fortunate, but the roots are deep in the Northeast and, and I'm good with that. Well, coach, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you in the middle of your fall season here. So we really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, coach. Thanks to Jason King. Thanks for to Jason King for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, Dave Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.